0: Good morning, New Life. Good morning. Uh, It's good to be with you all this morning. Welcome to you, friends. Those of you in the room, those that may be joining us online via Facebook, YouTube, or our website, newlife.nyc. It is a pleasure uh, to be with you all today. My name is Dre. I serve as the associate pastor uh, of New Life East, which is our New Life congregation uh, in Nassau County, Long Island at the end of service. I'm going to be downstairs in the lobby area, and so please Uh, make your way down there and shake my hand. I would love to greet you and some of our other pastoral team members will be down there uh, as well. Uh, Last week, uh, Pastor Rich kicked off our Lenten series. Uh, So we're in the middle of a series uh, called Good and Beautiful and Kind, uh, Becoming Whole in a Fractured World. And these three words, good and beautiful and kind, represent much of what we long for. It represents a lot of what our families long for, what our communities long for, what our world longs for, what creation longs for. Goodness, beauty, kindness. But at the same time, these are three words that often do not mark or characterize the reality of the world that we find ourselves in. Often these words do not characterize the kind of life that we live, And the kind of reality that we find ourselves in, in the world, and in the relationships that we are a part of. And so today, I want to make sense of how we move towards goodness and beauty and kindness. These three words come from a poem written by uh, the great American poet, African-American man by the name of Langston Hughes. And Langston Hughes wrote this poem called "Tire." Uh, And this poem uh, reads like this. I am so tired of waiting, aren't you, for the world to become good and beautiful and kind. Let us take a knife and cut the world in two and see what worms are eating at the Rhine. For Langston Hughes, when he wrote this poem, he was living in the middle of a society and a reality uh, that was marked by grave injustice. He was living in a world that was marked by war and violence. And as he surveyed the reality of the world around him and the reality of his own life, uh, he was compelled to write this poem. And in the poem, uh, Langston uh, talks about the idea of cutting the world in two. And when Langston talks about cutting the world in two, He is not talking about division. Uh, Langston is not interested in further dividing the reality of people. He's not interested in furthering uh, the severance that is between uh, individuals and relationships. That 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 word cut the world into that phrase there is not language of division, but it's language of examination. Language of examination. In other words, unless we get to the root cause and the root realities that are eating away at our human existence, then we will often fail to move towards this reality of goodness and beauty and kindness in our own lives and in the world around us. In order for us to see these things come to pass, we have to be willing to look carefully at the worms, the realities, the infrastructures that are eating away and fracturing the very existence and fabric of the world that we find ourselves in. And so last week, uh, Pastor Rich talked about the reality of sin, the worm of sin. And this reality is that sin is not simply something that we do, but it is a power that we find ourselves under. And that unless we name that power and come to grips with that power of sin, then we will fail to see goodness and beauty and kindness in the world. Today, I want to talk about another reality, another worm, if you will, that eats away at the rind of human existence. I want to talk today about this thing that the Bible calls powers and principalities. Powers and principalities. In other words, the dark forces of this age, what they have to do with the fracturing of the world that we find ourselves in. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 6, that's where we'll be today. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, verse 10 through 12. Ephesians 6, verse 10 through 12, it's on the screen there for you. Hear the word of the Lord. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle, it's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Let's pray together. Spirit of the living God, would you breathe on us now? Father, open our hearts and minds to receive from you all that you would have for us today. Father, help us to be a people who are marked by the realities that are so near and dear to your own heart, the realities of goodness and beauty and kindness. Would you help us to live into that, Lord, to usher those realities into the world that we find ourselves in? We love you, Lord, and we pray all these things in your good, mighty, and matchless name and all of God's people said. And amen. On the morning of September 15th, 1963, hundreds of people would gather at 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama for fellowship and worship, much like what we're doing here this morning. This historically black church served as a cornerstone in the community and a headquarters for peace and justice in a world and particularly in a city that was often not marked by those realities. However, at 1022 AM on this particular Sunday morning, while some 200 church members were in the building, many attending Sunday classes uh, before the start of the 11 a.m. service, a bomb was detonated on the church's east side, spraying mortar and bricks from the front of the church and caving in its interior walls, effectively bringing disruption to the peace and joy that fill the hearts, the halls, and the pews of that congregation. Many of the parishioners were severely injured, but four young girls instantly lost their lives as a result of this terrorist attack. 11-year-old Denise McNear, 14-year-old Addie Mae Collins, 14-year-old Cynthia Wesley, and 14-year-old Carol Robertson were found dead beneath the rubble In a basement restroom. That morning, goodness, beauty, and kindness found itself yet again under attack. Most Americans had little idea or paid little attention to the fact that Birmingham had been the scene of more than uh, 50 bombings between 1947 and 1963. By 1963, homemade bombs set off in Birmingham's black homes and churches uh, uh, were so common, so common an occurrence, that the city had earned the nickname Bombingham. The bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church on September 15th was the 11th uh, bombing that had happened, or excuse me, the, the third bombing that had happened in the past 11 days. And Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., while giving an address of eulogy at the funeral of the four young girls that so tragically lost their life on that Sunday morning, uh, he made an interesting and important observation in this address. Dr. King, during his eulogy address at this funeral, invited some 8,000 people that were in attendance and listening Invited these grieving members of the community, the grieving members of this family, to consider for a moment that the folks, that the question that they had to ask themselves that day was not simply who killed these four precious image bearers, but more importantly, what killed these four precious image bearers? For Dr. King, it it wasn't an invitation uh, to ignore or exonerate the individuals that perpetrated such violence. But Dr. King understood that there was a far greater enemy, a more insidious force that was behind the individuals that perpetrated that kind of violence. For Dr. King, he wanted that audience to consider the kind of policies, the kind of culture, the kind of reality that would give incubation to that kind of violence. Dr. King wanted them to understand that their enemy ultimately was not against flesh and blood. Friends, we have a great enemy. The question for us today is not who is the enemy, but rather what is that enemy? When we think about the kind of violence and the kind of turmoil and the kind of fracturing that goes on in our world. When we think about the, the the murder and the brutality against unarmed black men, women, and children. But when we think about the kind of sexual violence that is pervaded against children, women, and men all across the world, when we think about the violence of war that is often perpetrated on innocent individuals in, in, in areas that are uh, marked by poverty, when we think about these kind of realities, the question that we ought to ask ourselves is not who is our enemy? Who do we need to point the blame towards, but rather what is the enemy? You see, the biggest scheme that the enemy would have us to believe, friends, is that our struggle is ultimately against flesh and blood. Paul made it clear to the church in Ephesus that that they are to be, be careful to know that their ultimate struggle, their ultimate wrestle, is not against flesh and blood, but against what he calls powers and principalities, forces of evil, the realities of darkness in our world. This is a reality that Dr. King understood as well. When Dr. King was quoted as saying, in relation to the struggle for for justice and equality for black Americans, he said, it is evil that we are seeking to defeat, not the persons victimized by evil. Those of us who struggle against racial injustice must come to see that the basic tension is not between the races, In other words, it is not between people. The tension is at bottom between justice and injustice, between the forces of light and the forces of darkness. You see, Dr. King understood that although we need to make accountability for individuals that perpetrate violence and do evil in the world, ultimately what we have to recognize and come to grips with is that there is a dark force, that there is an enemy, that the evil one is at work in our world, and that ultimately that is the enemy that we struggle against in trying to see and bring to fruition this reality of goodness and beauty and kindness in the world. And for many of us, we succumb to the schemes of the enemies in our daily lives. Many of us, tend to wrestle against flesh and blood and make enemies of one another rather than recognizing the enemy of the evil one. Question for you this morning is, in what ways have you made enemies of people around you? In what ways have you failed to recognize the enemy of the evil one and rather have made enemies of those around you? maybe for you, you've found enemies with those that differ from you politically. That for you, there is no room to make friends with individuals and to have relationship with those who do not think about politics the way you do. That if you're a Republican, there is no room in your life to have friendship with Democrats. That if you're a Democrat, there is no room in your life to have friendship and be connected to those that consider themselves Republicans that if individuals think differently than you politically, that for you is indication that they are enemy number one. Or maybe for you, you've made enemies of your family members, that you don't agree with the decisions that they've made. You don't don't quite agree with the ways in which they are moving and living their lives. And for you, you have found reason to make enemies with them and cut yourself off from them. Or maybe you've made enemies with people who have a different worldview than you. That if somebody doesn't believe in God the way you believe in God, then they, there's reason to make them your enemy. Or that if they believe in a different God than you do, then there is a reason to make them your enemy. Many of us succumb to this reality of wrestling with flesh and blood, making enemies of our neighbors rather than recognizing the force and the work of the evil one in the world. Paul, in this same passage, tells the church in Ephesus, he says to them, put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And the greatest scheme of the devil, friends, is to have us believe that there is no devil. The greatest scheme of the evil one is to have us believe that there is no evil one. C.S. Lewis wrote a book by the name of Screwtape Letters, and in this book, he talks about this reality of demons. It's a book that's centered around this elder uncle demon that's speaking to his younger nephew demon and is uh, giving him uh, tips and tricks of how to deceive a humankind. And in this, uh, in this book, in this letter, in this series of letters, uh, C.S. Lewis is quoted as saying this. He, he gets at uh, two common errors that we come to and that we approach uh, thinking about powers and principalities, the existence of dark forces, the existence of demonic powers. He says there are two equal and opposite errors into which humans can, fail, can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They, the devils themselves, are equally pleased by both errors. So some of us are in the room, and you may have grown up like me in a more charismatic Pentecostal background. And for you, there's a devil behind every door. You're in church on Sunday morning and the sound system ain't working and it's time to call a prayer service because we got to get the demons out of the speakers. No, the power just ain't working, baby. There's no devils in the speakers. Or maybe for you, you grew up and, you, and for you, there, there, it's hard to make intellectual sense of this reality of an immaterial world of a world where there are spirits and forces and darkness that is working beyond what your eyes can see. Both, C.S. Lewis says, are errors that the evil one is glad to invite us into. But this morning, friends, no matter where you find yourself on that spectrum, it's important for us to recognize that the world that we find ourselves in is fractured and it is fractured because of the presence of what the Bible calls powers and principalities. The world is fractured because of the presence of powers and principalities. In other words, there are invisible forces that is fracturing our visible existence. Invisible forces that is fracturing our visible Existence. And unless we name that reality and come to grips with that fact, it will be very difficult, almost impossible, for us to march towards a kind of world that is marked by goodness and beauty and kindness. In the biblical view, the powers and principalities are both invisible and visible, heavenly and earthly spiritual and institutional that for Paul Paul is not just talking about some a disembodied demonic being or power that when Paul is talking about demonic powers when he's talking about powers and principalities Paul is talking about the way in which powers and principalities exist in the world and the systems that we live in and under that when Paul writes about powers and principalities, it is not disembodied demonic powers, but but also the way in which demonic powers are embodied in the structures of human life. Now it's important to note that the powers are not all they are not exclusively evil; that there are powers that do good in the world, and that that is God's original intention and design for powers in the world. Paul talks about this in Colossians 1 when he talks about the fact that that in him, him being Christ, the powers were were created in order to bring glory to God, to bring good into the world. And so Paul is not saying that that all powers are necessarily evil. In, in, In Ephesians 6, Paul is getting at the fallen powers of our world, the fallen powers of our world that seek to wage war against God and his will for goodness and beauty and kindness in the world. When you look at the horrors in the world, horrors like ch- from ch- like child abuse and genocide, racism and terrorism, addictions and capitalism, the powers and principalities, my friends, are pervasive. They are everywhere. And when I think about The reality of powers and principalities existing in our world, we have to recognize that the powers and principalities find themselves in our governments. They find themselves in our political leaders. They find themselves in our educational systems. They find themselves in corporations. The powers and principalities find themselves in denominations. They find themselves, believe it or not, in churches. They find themselves in cities and in nations including our own that the powers and principalities are not simply some immaterial force out there but the ways in which those dark forces that we cannot see attach themselves to the systems and the realities of our world that we can see and it is in that that we find these powers that seek to do us harm. And when I think about the powers and the principalities of our world, there are two primary aims of the powers in the world. Two primary aims, they seek for disconnection and violence in our lives and in the world. That for the powers, their agenda, their aim is disconnection and violence. In other words, they seek to cut us off from God, cut us off from one another, to inflict violence upon us and to move us towards violence upon others. And many of us feel and experience this reality on a daily basis. We feel it in the separation that we have with family members and friends and loved ones. We feel this, 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 this aim and this power of disconnection and separation and, and violence on, on social media and this culture of cancellation that we are wrapped up in and the ways in which we engage with one another in those spaces. We feel this in conversations that we have with loved ones and with coworkers who think differently than us, who we have disagreements with. The evil powers would have us to be disconnected from one another, from Jesus, and to, be, and to succumb to the way of violence in the world. And when I speak of violence, I'm not just talking about the physical destruction, the ways in which we can create harm in a physical sense. I'm also talking about the way we posture ourselves in the world. Violence comes about in the ways in which uh, we use our words towards one another. violence comes about in the kind of policies that we support knowingly or unknowingly that violence often comes in many ways this is why Jesus centers the law on two things when Jesus is trying to teach his disciples and the greater audience around him how do you make sense of of God's law How do you make sense of what it means to follow God, to be connected to God? How do you make sense of the spiritual life? Jesus says there are two things that ultimately give definition to what it means to follow God and to have a spiritual life. Jesus says that we are to love God and we are to love our neighbors. That is the summary of all of what God is after in the world. That what he wants for us is to love God and to love our neighbors. And these two realities are the very realities that the demonic powers of our world seek to destroy. That God's invitation is to love God and love our neighbor and the invitation of the demonic powers is to hate God and to hate our neighbors. And the question for us this morning, friends, It's not are we being separated from love, but how are we being separated from love? That this push, this force towards disconnection and towards violence is something that we are all wrestling with. It's a reality that is true for all of our lives. Where have you found yourself separated from God and separated from loved ones this week, this month? this past year. Maybe for you, it's in the powers of American politics and the news cycle, instead of the teachings of Jesus. That for you, you are more committed to Fox News and CNN than you are to the family of God. Maybe for you this morning, it's found in the ways in which the powers of Pornography and sexual indulgence is rampantly running at your soul. And you run towards explicit content on a screen to gratify your desires, ultimately disconnecting yourself from your spouse and inflicting violence on those around you. Or maybe for you this morning, you found in the powers of your family of origin, the realities of anger, emotional unavailability, substance abuse. And for you, you have disconnected your life from your loved ones and from those around you because of the uh, the succumbing power of these realities. Or maybe for you, like me, you find yourself succumbed to the power of classism, that every day when you get on that train for your commute, and you come into contact with our unhoused neighbors, your disposition towards them is not one of compassion and love, but one of annoyance, one of judgment, one of disgust, one of inconvenience. Because for you, the degree to which they are in a different socioeconomic category than you are gives you reason to make little of them, to make enemy of them, and to disconnect your life from the very people that God called us to care for. You see, this is why Paul so passionately invites the church in Ephesus to do what? Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. This is not language of of, of consideration. Paul is not inviting the church to to consider whether or not they want to do this. For Paul, this is imperative. This is a necessity. Unless we stand strong in God and stand strong in his mighty power, we will constantly be susceptible to the schemes of the evil one. We will constantly be drawn into disconnection and into violence. This is a reality that many black Christians and particularly the leaders of the civil rights movement understood so deeply that for them, the center of the movement, the the undergirding power of the movement was not in nonviolent protest, although that was necessary. It was not in boycotts as important as that was. It was not in freedom rides for the leaders of the civil rights movement coming up against the powers of white supremacy and injustice. Ultimately for them, the central power of their struggle was found in prayer. That for them to overcome the dark forces that they were facing required that they be a people marked by prayer marked by reliance, marked by standing strong, not in their own efforts, but in God and in his power alone. Friends, the reality is the dark powers of the world are too strong to overcome by human effort alone. Whether personal or systemic, the powers are beyond our capacity to overcome in and of ourselves. And this is why we often find ourselves shaped by the powers rather than resisting them. That we are often deeply shaped by these powers. And unless we name that, and to the degree that we deny that, we will fail to step towards the kind of freedom that God would have for us in Christ Jesus. That the powers seek to shape us in the ways of deception, in the ways of division, and in the ways of dehumanization. Deception, division, and dehumanization. And when I consider the powers of this world that shape us towards these three realities of deception and division and dehumanization, I think about realities and powers like white supremacy. White supremacy being this ideology of racial superiority that has centered the entirety of our societal existence around this lie that there are individuals that based upon their skin color find themselves superior to those that do not share that same complexion. And that those that don't share that complexion find themselves at the bottom economically, the bottom educationally, at the bottom when it comes to healthcare, at the bottom in all areas of life the ways in which we have centered and oriented our reality around whiteness. When I think about these three realities and the ways in which they shape us, I think about the powers of capitalism. Capitalism being the exploiting of the labor of the masses for the excess, excessive profit of the elite few. This nation built its wealth off the backs of of free labor of enslaved Africans and to this day refuse to play holistically compensation for that free labor. I think about the powers of sexual abuse and the fact that hundreds of thousands of women and children and men find themselves caught up in a system, a multi-billion dollar system of sexual exploitation and sex trafficking. Friends, these powers shape us and they shape us deeply. And unless we name the powers and unless we name the realities, we will fail to be a people who are marked by goodness and beauty and kindness. So how have you been shaped? How has your life been shaped? by the powers that seek to draw you into deception and division and dehumanization. Maybe for you it's the ways in which the lies of the American dream and American exceptionalism has invited you into a sort of a, 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 a utopia understanding of the country that you find yourself in. And we cut our turkeys on Thanksgiving all the while ignoring the pain and the plight of our Native American brothers and sisters who find themselves on a land that was stolen from them and their ancestors and having to deal with a country that refuses to name it and make right on that evil that was perpetrated against them. We live our lives each and every day often ignoring their reality. Maybe for you, it's the ways in which the powers of anti-blackness, this reality of anti-blackness has shaped you. And whether consciously or for most of us, subconsciously, we have bought into this lie that says the reason why black people are where they are is because they're lazy and uneducated. Or maybe for you, you've been sucked into the powers of cancel culture. This culture that says that if there's any degree of wrongdoing in your past, then you have no room in our world going forward that mistakes are reason to get rid of you. Maybe for some of you in the room, you've given into the ways in which the powers of gender roles, this idea of gender roles have shaped you towards these three realities. Gender roles meaning many of us have been shaped into this lie that women belong in one of two places, in the kitchen and pregnant. Failing to see the beauty, the power, the gifting that God has instilled in the women of this world and the ways in which He has used them towards ushering goodness and beauty and kindness over the centuries. Here's the reality, friends, especially for Christians in the room. The reality is that we can have our souls liberated by Jesus and yet be committed to Satan's systems of oppression. I'm going to say that again. We can have our souls liberated by Jesus and yet be committed to Satan's systems of oppression. And when I think about this reality, one of the ways that I think about it and areas that I think about it is the the reality of, of lynching that took place in this country. This 50-year period where black Americans, Mexican Americans, Asian Americans found themselves regularly under the terrorist attack of lynching. And did you know that many lynchings took place on uh, church lawns all across this country? That many of the audiences that would come to these lynchings were so-called Christians. That they would worship God at 9 a.m. and lynch community members at 12 noon. we can have our souls liberated by Jesus and yet at the very same time remain committed to the systems of the, the Satan's systems of oppression. So the question my friends this morning is what do we say to all of this? How do we respond under the weight of this kind of reality? How do we make sense of moving forward if this is the enemy that we are up against? I say in the words of the prophet Isaiah that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. And hear me, friends, I don't say that flippantly. I say that in the power of the resurrected King Jesus, that ultimately you and I do not have the power to overcome, but we serve a God who does. That when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't die just to forgive us of our sins. Jesus died to destroy the work of Satan and defeat the powers of the evil one. That in Christ, we have overcome. That what we are powerless to do, God is all powerful to accomplish and he has accomplished. It's not in what we can do but it is in what God it, it is in what God has done that we find this overcoming power. This is what Paul gets at in Colossians chapter two, verse fifteen. Put it up on the screen for me. Colossians two, verse fifteen. Paul says this. He says, "And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross." Hear me, friends. That in the death burial and resurrection of jesus is the victory that you and i so desperately need to overcome the forces of darkness and evil in our world and it is from that place friends that we can begin to move towards what it looks like each and every day in our lives to be people who overcome the power When I I think about what it means to overcome the powers, three things that I think about, three invitations before we close our time today. The first is we must remain in Christ. Remain in Christ. Many of us do a good job of remaining in CNN. We do a good job of remaining in Fox News, of remaining in Instagram, remaining in Facebook, But the invitation is to remain in Christ, because unless we remain in Christ, we will often fail to move towards the kind of overcoming that our lives are to be marked by. Here's the reality, friends. The powers of darkness do not relent, not for a day, not for an hour, not for a minute, not for a second. And to the degree that we fail to remain in Christ, we will often fail to come against the constant schemes, the constant barrage of the evil powers and dark forces of our world. We have to be a people who remain in Christ. But we also have to be a people who overcome the powers. What does this mean? Here's what this means. We don't need to overinterpret, friends. What it looks like for the church to establish God's kingdom. Our invitation is not to establish God's kingdom in the here and now. We live in what the Bible and what theology calls the already not yet. What does that mean? That God, Jesus, in His death, burial, and resurrection, He established the kingdom, and there is a full culmination of that kingdom coming. When Jesus returns and in between those two very real realities, God is inviting us as the people of God to be daily, hourly, and by the minute marching towards the reality that he is ushering us into. That goodness and beauty and kindness is coming, but we have been empowered as the people of God to move towards that kind of reality day in and day out that our efforts to move towards goodness, to move towards beauty, and to move towards kindness is not a futile effort, but it is an effort that will be ultimately culminated in the second coming of Jesus, that we are marching towards a new reality, a better reality that is for you and I. And we can do this work, friends, without mirroring the powers. Walter Wink says it this way, He says, evil can be opposed without being mirrored. Oppressors can be resisted without being emulated. Enemies can be neutralized without being destroyed. Here's what that means. The work of overcoming the powers does not need to be a work that is marked by violence. That God's invitation is a nonviolent work to overcome the darkness of our world. Lastly, friends, we need to remember what God has done. Remain in Christ, overcome the powers, and remember what Christ has done. Here's why. Because transformation doesn't come by human strength, but by God's strength. And this truth is what fuels our hope. When the powers seem too strong, when it seems like all hope is lost, we would do well to remember what God has done in Jesus Christ, that he has already overcome, that we are operating not towards victory, but from a position of victory. That that is the reality of our struggle. Friends, the demonic powers may be strong, but our God is stronger. They may be active, but our God is more active. They may have power, but our God is the all powerful one. Amen. I want to invite the worship team up at this time. Let's pray together. God, we thank you. Thank you for. Thank you for the cross of Jesus and the victory of his resurrection. That, Father, when we think about the reality of the evil one, the the powers and the principalities that seek to destroy us each and every day, that, God, in you we have hope, that we are not hopeless, that, Father, we do not need to succumb to their ways, but, God, we get to live in a new reality, in a different reality that you have fueled and empowered us for. So Father, would you help us to to be honest about the ways in which the powers and the principalities of our world are shaping us so that we can live out in the kind of goodness and beauty and kindness that you would have for our lives. Help us to be a people that are marching towards that reality. Help us to be a people who name the powers and principalities are honest about our wrestle, honest about our fight so that we can remain in you, overcome the power by remembering what you have done for us. We thank you, Lord, and we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen.
1: Our God is for us. In any trial, in any war, in any battle, our God is for us. He has the victory. He has the victory. The no weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. And when the darkness falls, it won't prevail. The God I serve knows only how to triumph. No, my God will never fail. Oh, my God will never fail. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. See a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. Oh, you take, you take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take what the enemy what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. You turn it. You for good. You take what the enemy. You take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. Yes, you turn it. victory
2: This doesn't mean next week you're going to New Life East now, okay? You need to come back here. But if you do live on Long Island, this is what you can look forward to. So don't be afraid to go out there, okay? So look, we have three invitations here, right? We have three invitations to remain in Christ, to overcome and to remember what he has done for us, right? None of these are easy. None of these are easy. To remain, we need him. We need prayer. We need community to overcome. We need the discipline. As Pastor Andre said, this is not. This is about walking every day. That means the things that you say, the things that I say matter. The attitude I leave my house with, as I look at people that are different from me, it matters. What you post, friends, it matters. When you're ready to be snarky and you wanna stop, think about it. Is this really the posture of Christ or are you being sucked into the powers and principalities that seek to divide and create violence? Violence is not simply what we think of. It is how I perceive you. It's how I recognize your Christ-likeness or I don't recognize your Christ-likeness. That is violence to you. When I make you the other, I am perpetrating violence. Hear that? So it's hard work. It's hard work and remembering what Christ has done requires me to pick up scripture, requires you to pick up scripture so we can be reminded, right? All of these are challenging. So the first thing you can do, if you need prayer, I'm going to ask for the prayer team to come up to my right. They're going to go up into the upper stage today, just for today, upper stage room, because we need this space. If you need prayer, go up to the upper stage room, through those doors, up the stairs, and you can have someone pray for you. Because we all need prayer. We all have to pray and ask the Holy Spirit, what do I need to do so that I can engage this? no one is exempt not one of us is exempt we all have work to do but the blessing is it's been done all we need to do is step in in cooperation And if you don't know this Christ that Pastor Dre was talking about, if you're just kind of confused and you really are not even sure that you're in, in understanding of what it is, who's this Christ, what does this look like, then we have a special invitation for you. We want you to just scan that QR code on the screen it will allow us to reach out to you later and help you to find your journey in Christ. It's not, it's not compulsive, it's a conversation, it's a step. And we want to invite you to that. And if you have accepted Christ, but you have not been baptized, that might be a step for you. Because baptism is that public statement where you get to acknowledge to the powers and principalities that you are a follower of Christ. It is a significant step in your journey forward as a Christ follower. So you can also scan that QR code, okay? Those of you that are watching here online, we're going to have a sermon discussion online. You can follow, you see, in the chat. Um, there'll be a link there for you to uh, join into a discussion there. And for those of you that are here in the room, we will also have sermon discussion after sermon after the service right here in this room, um, where we can discuss some of the things that we have been learning about. So just open your hands. I want to pronounce a blessing over us before we leave this space. And remember, if you are new to new life, the reason we do this is because the world is filled with cursing. Those are powers and principalities. And so this is our opportunity to receive blessing for ourselves and for each other. As you hear the words, you receive them for yourself, and you can also pray them over each and every one present as well. So Lord, we just thank you for your gaze on us right now. We thank you, Lord, for your compassion. We thank you for your your goodness, your beauty, your kindness towards your people. We thank you, God, that you have done all the work, all that we need has been done and has been supplied. And you graciously usher us into your presence, into the beauty of what it looks like to walk with you as individuals, and as the body of Christ. So I speak blessings over each and every one here that you would hear the word, that you would receive the word, go forth and walk it out. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Blessings, everybody.